welcome to another episode of the Impropod podcast. My guest today is Sandy Kennedy. So how would you describe yourself? I feel more like I'm a teacher, but I am also a carer. I love human beings and I love old people, but I also love teaching young people too. All of them? Pretty much. There's always a possibility of finding the good in everyone. Okay, so I'm going to play a piece of music. It's completely improvised and I'd like you to tell me what it makes you think of. So that can be anything that comes into your mind. Great. I find myself, strangely, on the side of the Himalayas in a rhododendron woods, every now and again glimpsing out these massive mountainscapes, beautiful, spacious, elevated feeling, then getting tangled in amongst the branches again and coming out again, these beautiful flowers of the rhododendrons. I've never been there, but that's what came to me. It's interesting how specific that is. If you don't know if you've heard Pete's podcast, he was talking about the Himalayas climbing the mountain. I watched a video years ago by a friend in Hungary, Hungarian friend, who had been there, and maybe something of his photographic imagery came up. Okay, and he's taken pictures of the Himalayas. Videos, very atmospheric. And there's something about what I played which conjured that. Yes. Okay, and you don't remember the soundtrack to these videos? There wasn't one, it was silent. Oh, okay, interesting. And rhododendrons specifically. Where I went to school were lots of big rhododendron bushes that we used to play in and amongst. So I do have that experience of my own, but this was very specifically in the Himalayas. I've also read books of people who walked in them, so I I have an internal picture. So I'd like you to tell me a story of some kind. Give me anything you like, something that happened to you. What I'm going to do is I'm going to break down the story into sections and improvise a soundtrack to it. Many years ago in Johannesburg, the father of my children took me on a job he had to Bishop Desmond Tutu's house in Soweto. His son was getting married and he wanted some new tarmac driveway and fibrocrete fencing, which is what my then partner was selling. So we went to his house and knocked on the door and his servant let us in. And his wife was sprawled out in traditional African dress with a glass of wine on her hand, like a beautiful portrait, and said, welcome, welcome. This was in the days of apartheid still. My brother-in-law was there too, and he sat down in this very smart chair, and the wife said, oh, you be careful. That is Desmond Tutu's chair. You do not sit in there. So he said, oh, I'll stay here until he comes then. Oh, okay. There was this music of Miles Davis playing and the servant ran out with the slippers and brought in Desmond Tutu from his internal garage 
And he came in and Liam had got off the chair by then and Desmond sat down and he said, Ho, ho, who's been sitting in my chair? It was great fun. Anyway, we had a lovely, fun meeting despite the business. That was my memory. And what was this place like where he lived? Soweto is full of um, single-storey concrete, very basic bungalows. So Desmond Tutu's house was pretty much like that. All the windows had bars on them. His were curly and decorated. He had great big external gates that closed. So there's a little bit of an internal courtyard. It was basic, but well turned out. Can you tell me a bit about what Soweto was like? I had worked there with a friend who had a project helping educate people into growing their own vegetables and how simple that could be for them so they didn't have to depend so much on buying food. I was white. Everybody else was black, pretty much. I was looked at as a curiosity, but also with a little bit of suspicion. Every Monday morning you'd come in, there'd be trucks taking out dead bodies from fights over the weekend, tribal fights mostly. A lot of the people who lived there were set into different job types because you couldn't mix the tribes. So all the vendor did the rubbish collection, as far as I remember. I really learned the meaning of fear there, not being afraid of anybody so much as just fear as an element that lived very strongly going on all the time. And there was a certain amount of shame and guilt being white as well. There was nothing I could do about it. It was interesting. Okay, so I'm going to try and get a sense of the vibe of the place. Nothing's happening. And then you go to this guy's house, try and get some miles in there, and then the chair. We'll see how that goes. The lightness of Desmond Tutu has come out beautifully. He's such a beautiful, warm, light being. And my optimism and the beauty and the lightness of the Africans too. And then came the darkness and the tension that also lives there. Could have been even more dark and tense, this sort of deep underlying sounds. The last time my then husband was there, he looked behind him, saw a mob chasing after him. He drove off really quickly. He saw massive flames right behind his car. They'd thrown a petrol bomb after him. 
and you just missed him. That was the last time he went there. Did you get the sense of Miles Davis coming through? Yes. I didn't actually listen to a lot of Miles, but I have an uneducated idea of what he's <laughs> I definitely brought an atmosphere into that moment. So do you have a, another story? I can talk about my second lightning strike. When I was 28, I was struck by lightning, leaning against the steel kitchen sink and thinking, oh, why did my parents always tell me to turn off appliances? No one ever gets struck. This was in England. And boom, as if a direct universal response, bam, the chimney burst apart, bricks flying past the window. And I was shot across the room as lightning came through the water that was running through the sink and threw me right across the room. My son standing there watching with his thumb in his mouth. But the second time was when I was 49 and I was just leaning against the sink watching the rain and there was no thunder or anything, just lightning suddenly struck the house. Boom! And it threw me across the room. It lifted me off the floor so I hit the wall and slid downward. We were driving to France that afternoon, sitting in the front passenger seat. It was as though every oncoming car would come through me. I had no idea where I was placed in space or where these cars were going. I felt that they were going to merge with me. It wasn't even like an external physical thing. It was like I was somewhere in space and they were in somewhere in space and I didn't know if they were going to come through me. It was a weird feeling, horrible. Actually, only recently have I completely recovered with a bit of help from a wonderful lady locally. My first lightning strike, I had a tattoo from the, where the lightning struck me on my hip. It was a point in the middle with nine wiggly lines coming out, radiating out from that point. The full width of the circle was probably about six inches. Unfortunately, it didn't stay. I'm going to condense the time down a bit. This sense of something much bigger is out there than this weird spatial awareness change than this process of healing.
That was powerfully moving. It's something to do with speaking things that are so dramatic or interesting or engaged with me and then hearing music that's related to that. It's like it's being seen on a different level. I could hear the raindrops. I could feel the distorted, fractured energy after being struck by lightning. At one point, I wanted to burst into tears and I thought, come on. I was going for this very fast-paced, quite discordant stuff for the lightning strike. And as I was playing it, I was imagining the way that the electricity expands in a weird way. It's like a fork. I tried to get some sort of element of passing of time in, in between those two sections and then went for the same thing, but slightly different. Imagine you're in a different space, different things are happening in your life. This really quite heavy but discordant descending pattern. It brought up just how discoordinated I felt and yet had to carry on and identify as Sandy, the teacher, and carry on being that person and yet had all of this disparate energy flying about in me. I loved the merging, the soft merging you started with. It felt just like everything joining together. On that section, I was playing with the sense of space, literally on the piano, messing with your perception of space and the way that you have a, an idea of how a melody should work, but then you can completely change it around. It's a quite a nice melody, but then if you're just playing with the octaves, you can... And then add some dis of discordance in there, just slowly making it weirder. disparate notes going up and down they're, they're like well, where am I is this me or is am I in that yeah all those kind of questions it's interesting I mean they're just notes you know, in different places that's all they are but that has this hook on your sense of reality your sense of understanding the world it's quite hard to explain really <laughs> So what did you get out of this podcast? It's really interesting to talk about these things, but also then the questions you ask bring me into a place of surprise. I'm talking about things that I haven't thought about before. That opens up and then the music comes into that and opens up still more layers and more aspects and takes it into a different dimension. Thank you very much for being on the podcast. Thank you too, Luke. Join us next time for another episode of ImproPod. Thanks for listening.